Welcome to Move Left Idiots, a socialist talk podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, joined by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? You know how they always say, uh, you know, in, in sort of libertarian circles, like, uh, oh yeah, you could never make that movie today. You could never, you could never get away. You, Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder, you could never do that again today. Yeah. Right? Like, you know how they do that? Yeah, you could never make Blazing Saddles today, you know, right. the movie that made fun of us. <laughs> like, you could never make right. that today. <laughs> I, I watched a movie that I hadn't seen in a while, but I've seen at least five times all the way through. And it truly is a title that you could not make today. Mm. And that title is White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. It's one of my favorite sports movies. It's so good. It's so it's good. So fucked. Um, They're so good. The, the two of them are so... The chemistry between Woody Harrelson and and Wesley Snipes in that movie is fucking off the charts. It's amazing, and you know it's all about the hustle. And if if you know you're, uh, you know, I'm sure I saw it when I was probably like you know just a couple years after it came out, right? Maybe like twelve or thirteen, or whatever. yeah. Um, so like I wouldn't have picked up on like you know all the little like hustling parts of it till I was probably a little bit older. But now it's you know it's obvious. But um, and it also feels like a lot of it's just com- completely. <laughs> scripted off the cuff too um yeah and a low budget movie too like you know a lot of the a lot of the basketball scenes you know like the the angle of the sun changes and it goes from like cloudy to sunny to cloudy again in like a, a span of a few seconds but you know that's what you get when you shoot outdoors on venice beach and you know you're not a huge budget movie right right yeah which, yeah. I, which I love though because i love that movie you know like that's the shit that's missing from movies like that sort of like actual lived in for like you know even for like silly fucking little movies like that you actually yeah. had to go and shoot it. You couldn't fucking, you know. Especially and, if you've been to Venice Beach, like that place is just such a vibe that has not changed in eighty years. You yeah. know, like it is, it is just always going to be that place that you see in that movie. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, uh, oh yeah. Oh, just real quick, dude, I, I didn't know you were going to mention this, but I just I, I love that movie. Yeah, apparently, uh, Woody Harrelson really good at basketball. Like everything that you see from him is actually him doing it. Wesley Snipes not like weirdly not athletic. Like they had, to re- <laughs> they had to really work around his 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 lack of athleticism and, and yeah. And you can kind of see like if you're if you're a basketball fan, and you watch the way he dribbles. You're like nobody fucking dribbles like that. That's just ridiculous. But well, you um, know, you notice that there's like the scenes where they're just doing you know they're just shooting at each, you know shooting shots you know like yeah. five in a row or whatever. Like they have, there's like three in a row that Woody makes in one take, uh-huh, and, I, uh-huh. and I don't think they even show Wesley make more than one shot in one take. <laughs> so. No, no, hundred percent no, which is which is hilarious. But you yeah. know, Wesley Snipes not athletic with sports, but like insanely good at martial arts, I guess. So you know, whatever. Yeah, I just see you saw the vampires he killed. That's not you know easy to do. I mean, allegedly, um, like for uh, uh, what was it? Fucking Demolition Man. They they like he was his karate was so good that they had to like. He was like moving too fast for the camera. They had, he had to slow his, his fucking strikes down because they were like too fast to actually capture properly. And fi- so, you know, people have different I'm, weird I'm skill sure sets. I'm sure you mentioned that when we reviewed that movie. Yeah, a million years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, blood sports, I uh, I had some major surgery this week um, on my collarbone to finally get it, it healed correctly. Um, it was pretty crazy um i guess i was expecting something more like the hernia surgery i had 23 years ago where you go in there you take your shirt off you unzip your pants they cut up you know a little hole in your abdomen and it's done in 45 minutes they don't even put you totally under for it right Mm. i was still like i don't remember any of it but apparently i was still talking during most of it like i kept asking when they were going to start 
for like 40, 45 minutes. And they said, we're all done. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, that's the first thing I remember was them saying, we're all done. This was not like that. This was, you show up six hours early for surgery prep, take off all of your clothes, and you put on a gown, and you get some socks and a little hairnet. Uh, and then you wait around for whenever the surgeon finishes up the whatever surgery they're currently working on. Like, there's no way to know with surgery that this invasive and this intensive and this, uh, for lack of a better word, violent when they're going to be done. Um, and then they wheel me into another room. You know, I've got my IV in and they start uh, like a, a, um, but it's bio something other drip. Um, the things so you don't um, get sick. Antibiotic. Antibiotic. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, they, yeah I couldn't tell you were like a uh, bio and I was like, I couldn't get there, but yeah, I, I, I eventually figured out what you meant. <laughs> I, I am on some amount of pain. I was going right to say that. Yeah. They, they haven't worn off totally yet. So yeah. Well, I, I, I only took one, um, one of the narcos they gave me early this morning at like seven 30. Cause I wanted to have a drink later and I didn't want to be drinking while I was on one of those, but, uh, I have been taking ibuprofen and, uh, acetaminophen and everything too. So, um, so they, they, you know, they start this, um, this trip and the surgeon comes in and the anesthesiologist comes in and I'm like, so how long do you think it's going to take? And they're like, uh, 45 minutes to an hour and a half. I'm like, wow. Okay. So yeah. And he's like, here's the thing though. You healed up too much. <laughs> uh, cause you know, originally they didn't tell me why surgery was necessary and they didn't tell me it was a displaced fracture. And they said that if you let it heal on its own, it'll be just fine. Well, that wasn't true because the two sides of the bone were overlapping effectively making my shoulder shorter than the other side, which I didn't notice until somebody showed it to me Till the surgeon that I saw was the specialist who did the surgery yesterday or the day before showed it to me. And he's like, yeah, you got a big knot in your shoulder and your shoulder is actually lower. And I'm like, fuck, well now I can't unsee that. I gotta get that fixed. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, not so fast. You need to do six weeks of physical therapy first. I'm like, okay, Oof. sure. Fine. And then after that, he's like, okay, let's do the surgery, but not so fast. You got to get pre-screening done at a uh, general practitioner. I'm like, okay, I do that. And then I, I tried to make the moment for the surgery. And they're like, well, we never got your records faxed over from the primary care people. So I, I made like 20 calls trying to get them faxed over. Three weeks later, they still didn't have my blood work. And I'm just like, what, what, you know, what do I have to do? You know? So finally, I'm sitting there with the IV in my arm. And the surgeon's like, just so you know, it's been five months to this first happened. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? I did everything you told me to do as fast as I could get it done. <laughs> you people right. don't, like these clinics don't talk to each other. Like you are your only advocate it, in this it, whole process. The, the whole healthcare system is like right. this. It's a huge fucking fe- clusterfuck designed to be. If, it, yeah. This doesn't, ha- look, and again, people can talk about, oh, you have to wait. First of all, you have to wait in this fucking country to get seen for anything that's not, you know, life-threatening. And second of all, this right. is the problem you run into with private healthcare is that when you when you live in a country with fucking government healthcare, uh, there's one system. They can all look up your information. There's no fucking having to get referrals. There's no, oh, you can't see this guy unless you go see this guy first because your insurance. To-. There's none of that bullshit. Like all these barriers to care that actually could cause yeah. further injury or death in some cases like do yeah, not exist. I, I got told it was my responsibility to make sure that one clinic faxed over the information to another uh-huh, clinic uh-huh. i'm like i don't have access to those records i can't make them and then and then they said well we already sent it over weeks ago they should have got it i'm like this always happens always happens it's it's just so built into the cake basically he says to me you know normally in this situation we do the surgery when the two halves of the bone have not yet fused and we just we we break them apart whatever tissue there is still soft we break it apart move shit around put it back but your shit's fused together solid already. Oh, good. 
I'm like, so we're going to have to get pretty creative. And I don't know exactly how this is going to work. Oh, that's comforting to hear from your doctor. This this is comforting to hear from the surgeon <laughs> minutes before he's about to start hammering and away. IVs on me. in your arm. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he says, "I'm going to make one incision here, right above the collarbone. We're going to go in, and we're going to we're going to re-break the fracture, <sighs> and I'm going to move it over here and put a pin in it. And the pin's going to be about six inches long. And I'm like, whoa, what? I thought it was going to be like a little fucking thumbnail size thing. And he's like, nope. I'm like, what the fuck did I just sign up for? So Jesus I get wheeled Christ. into the yeah, and, and by the way, this this whole hospital looks like it's from like the 1970s, where like they've got wallpaper and like wood trim with the paints oh, peeling off, God. and like you know plants with fake plants, plastic plants with dust all over. Nothing it, but the best, but, and the most yeah. expensive healthcare system in the world. But then they wheel me in the actual surgery room, the operating room, and it looks like I'm on a fucking alien spacecraft, and I'm like, right, whoa, yeah, wait yeah. a minute, this is this is like going to be way <clears> different <throat> surgery than I that I had when i was 23 for the hernia mm-hmm. and immediately they they you know have me scooch off one gurney onto another you know an operating table and they kind of lift my arm up with the iv and put this little padded thing under it. and then they start just burying me under heated blankets like like just four or five layers of heated blankets because they keep the room really cold so there's you know not less of a chance to spread a bacteria and you know i remember when i had my hernia surgery they started giving me the you know the the general anesthesia I started getting drowsy and my eyelids started getting heavy and like things started like feeling like, you know, the sound was far away. This wasn't like that. They were putting the blankets on and I looked up and I saw the anesthesiologist like fiddling with something. And all of a sudden it was like, and I was in another room (laughs) and it was over. Wow. Like this anesthesia was so strong. It erased my memory of the minutes leading up to when they started to give it to me. Right. Which like, is awesome. You, I mean, hey, that's what you want. <laughs> that you don't exactly, want. You exactly. Don't, you don't want to be at all fucking but conscious. It, at least when you get blackout drunk, the part mm-hmm. you black out is when you're already drunk. Uh-huh. This wasn't that. This was like aliens erased my fucking memory of something that, you know, before I even got on their spaceship. It's a, it's <laughs> like, a very weird sensation. I had it that. Is. Yeah. When I had my and, knee surgery, I had the same thing. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and I, it was three hours. Three hours had gone by. Three hours he was in there, and um, I wasn't even in a room. I was in like a hallway where like three different hallways come together, and no one was kind of like sitting with me. But every person, every nurse or orderly that walked by would turn and look at me, and I could keep my eyes open for maybe a couple seconds and they'd close again, you know. So they were all they were constantly checking on me, but they knew that like until they could see me keep my eyes open for a minute or more, that I wasn't ready to go back to my my um, sort of private room. Um, but eventually they wheeled me back there and they gave me some, uh, you know, crackers and apple juice and just observed me for about another two hours. And then they were like, you're free to go. I'm like, great. And they're like, oh, how's your pain level? I'm like, I don't think I have one. But they did do a nerve block. So I was, you know, aware that once that wears off, I could be in a shitload of pain. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you, you always know, feel fine afterwards until the you know, shit they, wears off. Because here's the thing. to to, I thought they could just cut the bone. Right. Just cut it, slice it, whatever. It doesn't work that way, because if you're going to cut the bone, you have to remove all the tissue around it, like flay everything out of there. And that means you're going to have, you know, decades of scar tissue. It's going to be like a bullet wound. Basically, there's no way to do that. Like they really have to get in there and pry the two sides of the bone apart. But if it's already fused, that becomes a really difficult endeavor, apparently. And I'm glad I didn't look any of this up beforehand because I started looking it up today. And holy shit. 
<laughs> so I get home and I still feel fine, right? But I know that's not going to last. So I start, you know, making some food so I can start taking the narcos. Uh, and I immediately get an ice pack on there. But I take my shirt off and I look at it and there's a there's a huge, you know, uh, patch on my collarbone. And I can already see that it's starting to turn red and blue, like spreading out from underneath that patch. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's whatever he did in there. It was like he was, you know, made an incision was like stretching the flesh open as wide as possible to get fucking tools in there. But then I noticed there's another patch on another incision on the back of my shoulder. Like he had to go and work on this thing from two different sides <laughs> of my body. And he didn't tell me he was going to have to do that. I don't think he knew he was going to have to do that. And what I came to kind of realize is that I think what he had to do was go in on from two different sides to get to where that, that the angled fracture was and start like chiseling on it with like a Jeez. chisel and a fucking hammer. And this is like a real thing they do and then get like a wedge in there and then just start prying the bone apart until it snaps and it, and it breaks along that fracture line again. Horrific. Horrifying. And I yeah. don't even know where the pin is. I think the pin is actually just below the bone mm. and is like, uh, there's, there's like a little, um, bracket holding it to the bone. It's not like a, uh, like a pin in the bone itself. And, and the weird thing is two days later, like I, I don't feel any pain. Like I'm, I've taken some painkillers, but you know, I, I ended up having to go back to the surgeon yesterday and he said, you know, if you feel any, if you have any problems, come back and see me and I'll look at you. And out of nowhere, I had like a ton of swelling, really rapid swelling and the redness mm -hmm. spread across my whole like neck and chest. I'm like, oh shit, am I having an allergic reaction? Turned out I wasn't. He's like, okay, I'm touching you all over. If it was an allergic reaction, this would hurt. There's no pain. I'm like, yeah, I feel better today. This was yesterday, the day after the surgery than I did the day before the surgery. Like I could feel my shoulder was back in the right spot. I could feel that my clavicle was not overlapping with itself anymore. You know, aside from the incisions and the swelling and the redness, you know, it feels kind of stiff right now, but there's like no fucking pain. And he told me like, you know, if that, if the, you can, if the pin in there hurts, we can take that out. I'm like, I can't even feel it in there, let alone hurting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, whatever he did was like a marathon three hour session of fucking hammering away at my body. Uh, and it looks like hell, but it feels fucking great right now. So I am happy. Awesome. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, you survived. That's the important part. And uh, yep, I lived, bitch. <laughs> um, some people that didn't really survive though over the week. Uh, not not a ton really happened this week of note. Uh, but there were some some things we did want to get into. Well, besides uh, the whole town in Hawaii being destroyed, you know. Yeah, no, I mean that's that. Yeah, that's a really unfortunate, um, horrible situation. I'm sure it's unfortunately going to become increasingly. Did, did you less see rare. the the uh, screenshots of that um, sheriff in LA County that thinks the fires in Hawaii were started by a uh, direct energy weapon orbiting in space? No, but nothing surprises me anymore. Um, nope. It's, <laughs> it's called. It's the acronym is a do. Direct, direct energy, energy weapon. weapon. Uh, yeah. 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 No, that, that makes sense. That seems like yeah. something that, that would be a worthwhile use of, of someone's time for, for whatever reason. Probably where the Havana syndrome comes from too. Yep. Same satellite. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's horrible. Um, something less horrible though, is of course the, 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 the epic fucking, uh, pure six brawl that we, that we witnessed in, uh, in <laughs> Alabama, in Birmingham, I believe it was this weekend or, uh, Montgomery. It was in Montgomery, okay. Yeah, um, yeah which so, makes it even more fitting from a civil rights angle. 
Yes, no, of course. I mean that yeah, people, you know, a lot of people pointed out the fact that these are the same docks that, you know, slave ships arrived on and people were fucking auctioned off on and to see the sort of Well, all right. So basically to set the table for people who haven't seen this clip and and you know, if you haven't seen this clip or these clips, multiple clips, I mean this was a, a pretty ongoing uh incident. Um this could have been on pay-per-view and I would have paid for I, it. I would have paid 50 I would have dropped down my $50 for this. This is more action than I've seen in any wrestling pay-per-view I've ever paid for. Like this is fucking incredible. So, um and more satisfying. So, yeah, I mean if you haven't seen it, go just google, you know, Alabama dock brawl or boat brawl whatever whatever you you know, I'm sure there's a million results that would come up, but um basically the first video that started making the rounds it was kind of unclear what was happening, but Basically, you see uh, a black guy who looks like he's some sort of either security guard or dock work, like someone who in an official looking uniform type situation going on, talking to some white guy and they seem to be arguing. And then it looks like the, the white guy sort of shoves him and then, you know, they start they start tussling and then a bunch of other uh, uh, white folks kind of show up that like seemed like they were just out of the frame. Uh, and just start, you know, beating the shit out of this this guy, this you know, presumably security guard or whatever. Um, and you know, it, it's it's horrible. It looks like a fucking you know, like a mugging or like a fucking you know, lynching. And then all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, you just start seeing people fucking making run-ins to like save this dude. Uh, you know, other black folks like running in from out of out of camera including one guy who just starts fucking swimming up out of frame, like out of nowhere. <laughs> it um, was, I mean, everyone is dubbed in music and, and, you know, TV theme. So right. TV show theme songs, but like I was just flight of the Valkyries was in my head when I was uh-huh. watching this uh-huh. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was that it was the fucking, it was the game of Thrones, you know, and during the battle of the bastards, when they make the fucking save at the end, like it, it felt, it felt very much like that. That sort of triumphant, like, Oh, this is fucking awesome. It, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, it immediately turned into like the biggest meme of the weekend. Um, and within a couple of days, people were reenacting it, you know, at swimming pools, you know, like it just, you know, like the memes about the folding chair, because a guy whipped oh, out a so, folding chair and started beating people over the head with it. Yeah. It, it later, as it, as it spilled across the pier, there was a, you know, it later became a much bigger fight with, you know, we, what we found out was this fucking hick, you know, racist piece of shit's family. Uh, the, the white guy who, who owned the boat, we'll, we'll get into the, the, the why behind it in a little bit, but, um, it, yeah, that's at one point someone just picked up a fucking folding chair and just started just wailing on this guy's head. And it was incredible. And I was like, oh, wow. OK, so I guess you can take multiple chair shots to the head without going down. It's not uh, well, just, just, it, a, just it, a wrestling it was, myth. It pretty clear it was a plastic folding chair, not a metal folding chair. Well, I, but, but still, still just the imagery, the imagery the frame is metal. I mean, you know, the, the yeah, the seats are plastic, but the sure. frames on those things are fucking sure. metal. That's that's no joke getting hit with those things. Um yeah, but he, he, yeah, that was, it, it was incredible, incredibly satisfying to watch, uh, you know, so many of these videos we see turn out horrifically, you know, and, and to see that one that actually had a, had a super, uh, happy ending was, was, was kind of nice. And the only people, as far as I know, that got arrested out of this, uh, were the, uh, the white family who it turns out were blocking, a a, a dock space that was, a, that was, uh, assigned or owned or whatever by this riverboat by this like company that that owns this you know they do like tours or well, whatever 
and, and here's the thing. This was not the first time they had done this. This, this is so as, as much of a cultural moment as this is everything I've read about it, even from fucking shit rags like Vox and New York Times seem to have the same takes that we have right on this. And the, some of the details on this, I didn't know until today when I was researching this, because we, you know, the guy looks like a security guard and he looks like he's fairly young. This guy was not young. He was one of the captains of the of this like giant riverboat huh. that, w- that was trying to dock. So this is um, this is from Vox. And this article makes some other good points here on some of the stuff we've covered, like this uh, this fucking racist country singer, whatever his name is, Jason Aldean, who made yep. the the lynching video, proudly um, filmed at the site of a historic lynching at a courthouse. Um, so the title here, uh, the Montgomery Boat Brawl and what it really means to try that in a small town by <laughs> Aja Romano. And just three paragraphs here. The white boaters coming from nearby Selma, so they weren't from, they weren't local had allegedly repeatedly caused trouble at the dock by parking their pontoon illegally in the spot reserved for a large tourist riverboat, the Harriet Two. On Sunday, August 5th, the riverboat had been waiting for about 45 minutes with passengers aboard to dock. Damien Pickett, the riverboat's first mate and co-captain, disembarked in order to move the pontoon uh, pontoon boat himself. So he was like untying their boat and trying to like pull it you know, down where they could get out of the way. Right. In response, according to reports, at least three of the boaters attacked Pickett, punched him in the face, beating and kicking him. The collective sense of satisfaction of the, you know, everyone coming to his aid might be exactly the kind of communal security Jason Aldean was attempting to portray in his song, <laughs> Try That in a Small Town. This was, in fact, almost the exact scenario Aldean says he was attempting to capture in his ode to small town vigilante justice. A group of outsiders come into town, refuse to obey local laws, and then they get their asses duly whooped by the town's <laughs> citizenry. <laughs> Meanwhile, Montgomery is not a small town. Its history of branding together to rout out racists is deeply relevant here. Montgomery is precisely the type of heartland town that deserves to have songs written about the bravery and commitment of its citizens to protecting one another, to fighting back against injustice, to defending its people and its way of life at all costs. But there's plenty of reason to suspect that Montgomery wasn't the kind of town, and this wasn't the kind of scenario that Aldine had in mind. We know that celebrating moments of black defiance is incredibly rare in American history. Yeah. So Yeah, some good words wow. from Vox for a change. Yeah, no, 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 well written, I mean... Yeah, it, it it was it was it was incredible. Um, just incredibly satisfying to watch. Uh, yeah, as as you said, the memes and the the different dubbings of of like just just hilarious things over. It's just, the, just, just so the, good. All the the names for the guy that dove in and started swimming, like because <laughs> he was like he was on that riverboat. Well, yeah. Right? You, there's another. You're right. There's so like it's like you know we we initially had the one camera angle. It was like the Zapruder fucking film of 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 you know of boat brawls. But uh, we eventually started getting other camera angles, and there is a camera angle that sees him sort of like seeing it go down from the boat, and then you know kind of like taking a pause presumably to take like his phone out of his pocket or whatever and just jumps off the boat into the fucking river and yeah. starts swimming and it, it's not like i mean you know it's not like a mile but it's not super close dude fucking swam all that way got out and then just started you know beating the shit out of these guys just seemingly just, with no fucking like tired like i would be dead if i had to make that swim in a sprint like that <laughs> i mean just somebody commented on this somebody said this on twitter just think how mad you have to be to swim to a fight. <laughs> That's amazing. And 
some of the names that uh, he, the nicknames for this guy were great. First was Black Aquaman, uh, and then Blockwoman. Yeah, and then my favorite Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like that better. And the the one the the overall name for the whole thing I liked was the Alabama Sweet Tea Party. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, they do love their yeah. sweet tea down there. Yeah, so that that was good. That was that was incredible. Um, you know, and and happy to see a resolution from it that that actually you know worked out for the good guys for once. They they were saying you know the person who who hit the other man with a chair. We would like to just have him come in to to have a conversation with the police department. And he they, won't. He's and he won't. Gonna, no, no, come on, don't be. You know, get the yeah, fuck out of here. Of, chief of police was like, we have video of the whole thing. The the people down on that pontoon boat were told to move <laughs> repeatedly, and they started the fight. With with the riverboat captain, like that's. But, the, but here's the shitty part: is the meme spread so far and wide that now police are posing, holding folding chairs in their. Yeah, they PR. they ruined it. They ruined it, of yeah. course. Yeah. So there's a picture here I have on Twitter of uh, two Texas cops with folding chairs because apparently Texas cops suddenly are brave now again. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, they're terrified to save children being fucking gunned down by a yeah. maniac. But you know, but we'll we'll hop on an internet meme. Um, so yeah, the picture included the caption, "Yep, the joke is over." <laughs> yep. And somebody else uh, quote tweeted that and said, "Jokes are a lot like dogs, and they bring immeasurable joy to people until a cop comes along and kills them for no reason." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's sad. It's funny because it's true. Um, but... We had one last little bit of humor here. L- last little bit of humor will probably ring out of this, um, and it's actually eyewitness testimony from one of the boaters that was there. One of the white boaters that was there. I don't know if they were on the pontoon boat uh, the, themselves, but they were at least nearby witnessing, bearing witness to what happened. Yeah. I was eating on the river at a little local restaurant I'd never been to before called Senior Frogs. I like to eat local when I can when I'm on vacation. But I'm sitting there. Next thing I know, a goddamn melee breaks out. Apparently, a, a boat captain asked these white people to move their boat because it was parked where it wasn't supposed to be. And hey, I get it. As a white man, I don't think the rules apply to me either. Yeah, I parked this big ass truck in places most people didn't even know they had places. I mean, what's the point of having a big ass truck if you can't pop two tires up on the curb? And the other two on somebody else's Miata, but I digest. If there's one thing I've learned about white men, you don't come between a white man and his boat. You ever seen somebody get between a a bear and her cubs? It's just like that. The white guy, he punched a captain. The captain squared up, but not before throwing his hat in in the air like he just graduated. All kinds (laughs) of bright red white people in cargo swim trunks came out of the woodwork, and then the black people came in for reinforcements. A guy, Michael Phelps, is way across the water to whoop some ass, and then somebody pulled out a chair like it was a goddamn WWE. There were chairs flying everywhere. Somebody threw the... The chair from Game of Thrones, Cherry from Pee Wee's Playhouse was eating somebody, Bernie Sanders was sitting in a chair, Otis Redden threw a chair on the dock of the bay, it was pandemonium. I'm getting PTSD just thinking about it. I'm going to a wedding this weekend and I just hope and pray to God that I don't start having flashbacks and hit somebody with a folding chair in between the dollar dance and, and Cotton Eye Joe. I'll, I'll admit, what happened was wrong. The injuries sustained 
by that boat were a tragedy. And as someone who just recently lost his boat in Lake Travis, my boat, the SS Margaritaville, R.I.P., baby girl. I know she's in the great bottom of the ocean in the sky. But can we all just come together and think about the boats for once? Yes, ass whoopings, they come and go, but these boats, these boats are forever. <laughs> Still can't get rid of that lingering cough. That's, uh, you hate to see it. But. I mean, it's the COVID, the Canadian wildfires, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Apparently everyone's getting COVID again. Like, everyone everyone seems to be fucking sick with COVID at my work all of a sudden. Uh, everyone it's on Twitter big, I uh, follow is apparently sick with it on Twitter. Yeah, it's making a crazy <laughs> fucking resurgence. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, uh well, you know, that yeah, like you said, that that was incredible. Um another bit of good news this week. Um we should talk about what happened in Ohio cuz they had uh I guess some some what was this like the round of primaries and sort of like setting up for their general and then other, you know, ballot initiatives sort of uh election they had. I, I don't even know. I just know about um Ohio issue 1 and Ohio issue one was basically um, Republicans wanted to make it so that statewide ballot initiatives would not would no longer need 50 percent plus one to pass. They would need a supermajority or or I think 60 percent actually to pass mm. a statewide ballot measure. Um, and of course, the statewide ballot measure in this case was going to be to uh, enshrine the right to abortion in the state of Ohio, in the state of Ohio's constitution. And keep in mind, this is a state where, you know, Trump won by 70% or more, I believe. Mm. Um, and so so if issue one passed, an amendment to enshrine abortion as a right would need 60% of the vote instead of 50% plus one, which it turns out they probably could have gotten anyway because this Ohio issue one was demolished mm. by like 14 points. Hmm. Yeah. So when you, when you <laughs> you you might like Trump in Ohio, but when you talk about taking away people's right to an abortion or their right to vote on any any ballot measure remaining 50 percent plus one, uh, people said, fuck, no, we're not letting that happen. Yeah. Classic case of, of conservatives overplaying their hand on that one. I'm sure they could have they could have sneaked something less draconian through and actually, you know, gotten it gotten it through and put in some horrible fucking policy that, you know. We just start yeah. seeing the, the 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 effects of you know decades later, but um, yeah. yeah, well, and it's it's you know it could be maybe you don't you don't even support abortion, <laughs> but like do you you know whatever your pet issue is, do you want to have to try to fight for a ballot measure where you need sixty percent of the vote of of voters to pass, or do you want that fifty percent plus one? It's such it, there's such a fucking weird like very small subsection of anyone that actually supports that sort of governance in general. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like most people and like when you ask them, like, hey, you know, do you think government should like be able to make big wild swings like in the favor of whatever you the policies you believe in are like almost 90 percent of the country is going to be like, yeah, no, absolutely. Like I, I, I was I was talking to my friend like years ago, one of my friends, and he was like, yeah, you know, that's what's great about Washington is like, you know, how slow it is because, you know, it it was it was created that way intentionally to to stop, you know, major changes from taking place. And I'm like. That what this is like the opposite of of what you know like of everything you learn about like you know progress and and sort of 
you know, even I even think about my work, like that's the opposite of any sort of even like for the fucking like the rich capitalists, like that their whole idea is like, you know, continuous growth and continuous improvement. That's the thing you hear about in every fucking company, you know, but be it manufacturing, finance, whatever. It's it, that's like the main strategy. And the government is literally built to 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 squash any sort of improvement, like even minor. So it like the idea that that should somehow be a goal or even something that's tolerated is fucking wild to me. But there are people that think that uh, surprisingly. Well, apparently uh, at least in this case, the uh, um, Ohio GP thought that that 60% threshold was going to be the winner because it turns out a July poll from the USA today uh, network in Suffolk university found that 58% of Ohio voters support the effort to enshrine abortion access in the state's constitution. So they were like, as long as we can get it up to 60%, <laughs> then we'll win. <laughs> but yeah, they didn't they count 50... on other. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, they, they didn't count on other people, you know, not wanting that 60% threshold for other issues. So. Yeah. 58.1% would have been too obvious of a threshold for them. To <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> would have been, been like, all right, this is a little on the nose, guys. Let's, let's at least round it up. Um, but yeah, no, that that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Um you know uh, what? So what did you have? You had other topics we wanted to tackle this week, right? Yeah, a couple little ones here. This is this is hilarious because um, UPS drivers just avoided a strike, but uh, you know people people finding out how much UPS drivers make and then learning that they're going to get more, like not just that, that they want more, but that the UPS as a company has agreed that they deserve more. Um, has all the blue checks of Twitter losing their fucking minds, um, and it's it's just hilarious how open they are about not knowing anything right so this is a blue check uh apparently he got he was he was in early and his twitter handle was just at jason that's it wow that's yeah it's it's pretty coveted i would imagine uh, amongst the jasons of the world (laughs) i i guess if you were born between 1979 and 1984 it was a popular popular name Uh um so his his initial tweet here Fun with numbers, you, you UPS drivers will make one hundred seventy thousand dollars a year by the end of their new contract. Damn, eighty eighty dollars an hour in two thousand twenty nine. Really? Question mark. And then he yeah, it's a shit ass job. He, really? Like, yeah. Well, apparently not if you're Jason. Uh, so he, he writes here: ten hour shift equals eight hundred dollars. How many packages per hour? Five, ten. <laughs> Bro, if you really think that they're delivering five packages an hour, it gets better. Hang on, <laughs> hang on. So, eight hundred by five hundred packages equals sixteen dollars in wages per package. Eighteen by one hundred packages, eight dollars per package. Here is my theory. Here's where Jason goes for broke. My theory: UPS knows robotic delivery will be here by 2029, so they are setting this contract knowing it will be the last one. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know how you know how uh, uh, capitalists are. They love to spend more money right before they're about to make something completely redundant. That's that's usually how that goes. They don't they don't like to save their money to put towards new technologies that are non fucking functional. Mean, have you seen these little egg cartons on wheels that you know get destroyed trying to cross train tracks? Yeah, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Imagine extrapolating that over over you know the course. Of, imagine a fucking delivery drone going like door to door in the suburbs. You know, having to having to presumably motor itself, you know, five miles across the fucking city. And then, you know, like it's just 
it's not a feasible. We're 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 decades right. away from that being a real thing. A, a single drone that can carry a single package, make you know, making a twenty five mile trip for that one package, and then returning to the you know fulfillment center to pick up another one. Like that's going to be become the efficient business model. Not yes. paying one person to carry thousands of packages <laughs> on a single route. Yeah, no, that yeah, no. Or the alternative in these fucking psychos' minds is that they you get a self-driving ups truck so a giant fucking monstrosity you know not driven by any human with no fucking you know then, how does it or, how does it deliver anything is well it, it would have like, to have like separate dr- it? it would have to have separate robots that then would deliver which which were somehow uh, imagining or smart enough to, to navigate you know like uneven terrains like walk upstairs open doors open old rickety doors you have to pull on one corner to like like it's just it's such a fucking fantasy that's not even a real thing. It, it's it's again, it's the fucking terraforming yeah. Mars. Type. Robot robots going to call you on the phone and say you need to come down to sign for it and tell you which uh, gate they're at, front or back. You're right, exactly, right. <laughs> exactly. So, it, it's fucking course, preposterous. Of course, this guy is a fucking blue check, and his replies, all of his his blue check comrades were the first you know replies you see, and they all say said the same thing. Came here to say this. Me too. Also me. It's just, it's like, I, if, I if, you're given a, if you're given Elon fucking 80 or dollars a month, like the, the stupidity is, is, is fucking, you know, it comes with the package. Like it, it's just, you, you expect it from them at this point. These I are the same people, people that believe this. his bullshit, you know? Yeah. I've seen people on Twitter admit this, like, you know, some blue check was like, I don't get what the, on, on the, the two Texas Rangers with the folding chairs. There's a blue check that said, I don't get what this is about. Can someone explain it? Admittedly, <laughs> I am a blue check. <laughs> like, all right. At least, um, you know, yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's laughable. And yeah, no, that is a lot of money. And that's fucking awesome. Everyone should make that much money. If you're working for a company that's making billions and billions of dollars in profit a year, you should be making 170 fucking thousand dollars a year. I don't care what the fuck you do. Like, it, it's just, it's preposterous. The, the lack of, you know, profit sharing that, that comes from, from every industry in this, in this country. And, and, you know, especially these, these major fucking corporations, publicly traded corporations. Um, and that's a fucking shit job. It's hard work. Like it's fucking hot. They didn't, they had to, you know, luckily they have such a strong union. They didn't have fucking ACs in their trucks for decades. Like they would, I remember when I used to work at the pharmacy, we had, we had like, you know, because typically you end up getting the same, like they, they, they give their drivers routes. So we had the same guy, you know, you know, friendly guy we'd always talk with and he'd come in just like fucking drenched in sweat during the summer. And I'm just like, they don't like, do you not have ACs? Like, no, the only AC we got is we drive with the door. Why do you think we drive with the door open? Because we don't have right. any fucking AC. We just have to. Well, you know. I mean, really, you got to have the doors open because you're hopping in and out so much. You wouldn't well, want to have doors. But, but like, but even still, when they're driving like, in between like long distances, they usually drive right. with the door you, you because could it's be, fucking hot in those things. You could be, you know, you could still have the doors open, but if you're driving it, you know, and you're sitting there right in front of the, the vents, mm-hmm. then yeah, that would cool you down, even if you had the doors open. So. Either way, of course, they should have AC. So, yeah. So another postal story service I had, still doesn't, by the way, which is they have a less the what pa- the postal service still doesn't in most of their vehicles because they have a less powerful oh, yeah. union, uh, which which sucks and it's fucking travesty. But yeah, you had something else. You so said? yeah, this was this isn't just like one story that I've seen, but I've been noticing more and more reporting on um, hoaxes and things being staged on TikTok for <clears> viral clout. <throat> Hmm. Um, and I saw one the other day and it was the, basically the, it was a, a fake domestic violence rescue 
on a highway where this couple that's already famous on TikTok uh, pretended to see a woman like doing a hand signal oh, as God, she's like a like, fucking. Yeah, this is like the catnip of housewives. This fucking. Oh, this, yeah. Like th- these hand signals, which are totally fucking made up. And, you know, like, it, yeah, it, it, it's pre- fucking preposterous. But, yeah, so continue. Well, so in the video that's on TikTok, apparently, the, the couple's like, oh, my God, she just did the hand signal again. Should we follow her? And so they, they follow her and they, the, you know, the car they're following, driven by a man, of course, uh, stops at a rest station and then, you know, or a gas station or whatever the fuck cars go to. And then the, the guy in the car, you know, walks into the gas station, presumably to, you know, buy whatever you buy at a fucking gas and go. And then the so then the, the man who is in the car where they're filming runs up and lets the woman out and then, you know, convinces her to get in the car with him and they speed away. And then this couple admitted that it was all staged, <laughs> admitted it, but said it was for a good cause to raise awareness, you know, this just made like up thing that we just fucking uh, right. made up, like J- just like Sound of Freedom, where we made up the entire story and said it was based on a true story, which didn't involve trafficking or kidnapping. No, unless you count the film's producer, that, that, you know, other than that, there didn't it wasn't actually any uh, traffic, child trafficking involved with the story whatsoever. Oh, no, that was one of the people who was funding the movie. Yeah, oh, which well, you I, could I just, say was a producer. I was, I was gonna say I assume producer when I hear funding, but yeah, I guess just with their fucking bullshit Ponzi scheme crowdfunding model, that could be any Joe Blow that uh, puts some money towards it. And then I see another one today where a famous TikToker um, said that she was making a, a series of a hundred videos where she goes out uh, to take herself out on dates because she's afraid of going on dates with real people. And then on uh, on the series of dates she's going on, pardon me, there was a a man coming up to her uh, in a Barnes and Noble and squatting down all, all fours and sniffing her oh. when, she, when she wasn't looking. But she happened to film him several times doing this from every angle, but then pretends though she didn't see him and he's in full view of the camera and he looks at the camera on her phone and like keeps doing it. Like, and each time she catches him, she's just like, what are you doing? She doesn't tell him off. Doesn't say, fuck you. What the fuck? You know, yeah. she just acts confused. Right. And then she goes home, makes a video saying how, uh, you know, people were saying in the comments they thought it was staged. And it just I felt devastated (laughs) because everyone in the comments realized it was fucking fake as shit. Right. Right. And then there's this trend. uh, Apparently, this this has started getting reported on a couple of years ago of people just making up, you know, physical illnesses and fake mental illnesses for clout on TikTok. And I don't think that this is there's anything about TikTok that is especially egregious, right? I think it's just because it's the most popular social network in the world right now. And it tends to have very short, highly edited content where it's easy to hide things and fake things like the entire context of what's going on in a video. But this last one is really egregious because when you... When you fake a mental illness, you're basically saying fuck you to everybody that really has that mental illness. Right. Um, when you turn it into a performance, when you when you fake it for, you know, TikTok clout, that that's really fucking low. So the worst one is people who claim to have disassociative identity disorder or what used to be called multiple personality disorder. So these TikTokers refer to themselves as systems, a collection of alternate personalities called alters that take turns fronting or controlling the body 
when a new altar fronts, it is called switching. DID TikTokers have coined a new term for non-DID people, singlets, which is often used as an interrogatory way. DID content creators make videos introducing their alters, each with cutesy names and adorable, adorable, elaborate pronoun usage or unique emoji signatures for each alter. To watch DID TikTok is to learn a new lexicon. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's uh, this is like I don't really like to comment on trends, especially because like they they come and go so often. But this is hardly a new thing. It's just this is this is the front line of like where people are at with social media. This is the place we're seeing them use now for that you know right for that same thing right. that they've always been doing. But this is this has been a grift that's been going on for a while. So this is, this is from just some random blog. Back in 2014, Bell Gibson was riding high. The story of how this young Australian wellness blogger, there's your first clue, something's wrong, <laughs> had overcome inoperable brain cancer through healthy eating and alternative medicine, drew worldwide attention, and her app, or I'm sorry, and her Apple app, The Whole Pantry, racked up 300,000 downloads. A Whole Pantry cookbook, to be published by Penguin, was on the way. Then came the bombshell dropped on her 200,000 plus Instagram followers. Gibson, uh, her brain cancer had returned and spread to her blood, spleen, uterus, and liver. The next year, an even bigger bombshell, Gibson had made the whole thing up. She never had cancer. None oh. of it is true, she admitted to the Australian Women's Weekly. Also false was her promise to give a chunk of the proceeds from her app to charity. <laughs> oh, that's, of course. that's great. The great of two course. things to lie about. The fact you had cancer yeah. and that you're giving money to charity. Um, In 2017, a federal court fined the social media star, once called the Queen Bee of Wellness, $410,000. And last year, this is presumably... I don't know when this is published, but some years after 2017. And last year, in an effort to collect the overdue fine, Sheriff's Department officers raided her Melbourne home just weeks before the BBC released its 2001 documentary, Bad Influencer, The Great Instacon. <laughs> so so it's, it's like Firefest. Even if you fucking defraud people and go to jail, someone's going to make a movie about you and they're going to make more money somehow. Yeah, no, there's there, there's no actual consequences to bad behavior in this country. Just just temporary inconveniences. Uh, you'll you'll always find a way if you're shameless enough and and soulless enough to make money off of uh, bullshit like that. But um, yeah, no, it's 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 unfortunate. Um, it's a sucker born every minute, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. All right. One well, last I story here, and this is this is a sort of a personal one for me because it, it feeds back into somebody I know in real life. But um, just to set this up, quote from Michael Parenti, you you were reading or you did read? I read, uh, yeah, like a year or two ago, the uh, uh, was Black Shirts and Reds, which was fucking incredible. Um, great yeah. book. So he's, he's talked about this in many books over decades, but um, I'm not sure when this exact quote is from. This might have been from the 1980s, but uh, Michael Parenti... Marxist scholar and interpreter uh, once said the CIA has out uh, outright owned more than 240 media operations around the world outright owned, including newspapers, magazine, publishing houses, radio and television stations and wire services and has partly controlled many more. So with that in mind, this headline from New York Times, a global web of Chinese propaganda leads to a U.S. tech mogul by Hara Havistundal. Mara Havistundal is an investigative correspondent focused on Asia. Focused on Asia. Keep that in mind because here's three of her other headlines. 
Official data hinted at China's hidden COVID toll, then mm. it vanished. Mm. Chinese censorship is quietly rewriting its COVID-19 story. China rejects W Health Organization accusations of hiding Wuhan COVID data. So Asia Asia is apparently just focused on criticizing China. <laughs> so this is this is oh I'm sorry. This is this is not New York Times. Oh yeah, no, it is. This is New York Times. Um so just just a little bit here. The protests in London's bustling Ch- uh, Chinatown brought together a variety of activist groups to oppose a rise in anti-Asian hate crimes. So it was peculiar when a street brawl broke out amongst mostly ethnic Chinese demonstrators. Witnesses said the fight in November 2021 started when men aligned with the event organizers, including a group called No Cold War, attacked activists supporting the democratic, uh, democratic movement in Hong Kong. On the surface, No Cold War is a loose collection run mostly by American and British activists who say the West's rhetoric against China has distracted from issues like climate change and racial injustice. In fact, the New York Times uh, investigated and found out that it is part of a lavishly funded influence campaign that defends China and pushes its propaganda. <laughs> At the center is a charismatic American millionaire, Neville Roy Singham, who is known as a socialist benefactor of far-left causes. Uh-oh, that's bad. From a think tank in Massachusetts to an event space in Manhattan, from a political party in the South Africa to news organizations in India and Brazil, the Times tracked hundreds of millions of dollars to groups linked to Mr. Singham that mixed progressive advocacy with Chinese government talking points. Dun, dun, dun. Some, like No Cold War, popped up in recent years. Others, like the American anti-war group Code Pink, have morphed over time. Code Pink once criticized China's rights record, but now defend its internment of the predominantly Muslim Uyghurs, which human rights experts have labeled a crime against humanity. Again, if that's even a real thing. Right. He and his allies are on the front lines of what Communist Party officials call a smokeless war. Under the rule of Xi Jinping, China has extended state media operations, teamed up with overseas outlets, and cultivated foreign influencers. State Department's never done that here in the U.S. Nope. <laughs> the goal is to disguise propaganda as independent content. Bellingcat, CIA, who? Speculation about Mr. Singham first emerged on Twitter among self-described anti-fascists. Hmm, interesting. Reports followed in the publication New Lines and the South African investigative outlet Amang Bungain. The authorities in India raided a news organization tied to Mr. Singham during a crackdown on the press, accusing it of having ties to Chinese government, but offering no proof. So, like, who's the authoritarian here? China or apparently India? But that's okay. So, I'm okay, so they, they referenced a publication called New Lines Magazine. You don't reference who they're referring to, just the magazine, but there's a hyperlink. So I click on the hyperlink, and I swear to God, I was just, oh my God, it's him again. It's fucking him again. So the piece that the New York Times is quoting, basing their entire article of this you know, vast network of money and influence coming from China to every single left-wing organization you can imagine, was none other than Alexander Reed Ross. Now, friend of I don't the know. show. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember the time that Aaron Mate was on Jimmy Dore's show back before Jimmy lost all credibility. And Jimmy was bragging that he was about to have this unnamed person on his show. Somebody of, you know, some high caliber person. And he didn't say who it was, but through 
you know, just kind of like teasing who it was, Iramate was like, uh, are you talking about Alexander Reed Ross? Because that person cannot be trusted in any circumstance. <laughs> and Jimmy got fucking pissed. He was like, what the fuck? You just fucking ruined the interview. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is like, th- this person will, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a famous journalist independent of any kind, he will try to destroy you somehow. Um, so... <laughs> This is just a little piece from Gray Zone, just to kind of put this in context of, of who this Alexander Reed Ross is, the person who the New York Times uh, feels comfortable uh, basing entire articles about China off of. So this is New York Times links near uh, New um, sorry New York Times links near magazine Alexander Ross noted, uh, yeah noted Fed informant against Portland communist and anarchist in the, from the Gray Zone. Through his many hatchet jobs smearing anti-war leftists as crypto-fascist engaged in a supposed red-brown alliance with the far right, writer Alexander Reed Ross has earned widespread derision and the retraction of his entire archive by one of his former publishers. Ironically, the self-described anarchist is now openly collaborating with a network of former cops, spies, right-wing Republicans, and Department of Homeland Security agents at a militaristic think tank funded in part by billionaire Charles Koch. Coke. Koch. Coke. Coke. Ross's fellowship with the recently founded network Contagion Research Institute suggests the U.S. national security state has an increased interest in undermining the progressive anti-imperialist forces he has targeted for years and is also currently uninterested in his long record of journalistic malpractice. Um, I'm going to skip ahead here. In one entry, Ross alleged that Brian Becker, a veteran anti-racist and anti-war activist, was in league with the Oath Keepers, because he once debated a member of, his, of the far-right group on his radio show. In another, Ross accused liberal Nation magazine publisher Katrina Vanderhugel of ultra-conservatism and Kremlin ties, largely on the grounds that she was married to Stephen F. Cohen, a top Russian scholar and U.S. foreign policy critic. Ross then blamed Grey Zone editor Max Blumenthal for a deadly shooting spree by neo-Nazis because, well, there was simply no basis for his defamatory claim. So, in a twist of comical irony, the red-brown researcher Ross has become a senior research fellow at a recently founded think tank backed by billionaires, including right-wing oligarch Charles Koch. There, Ross had co-authored reports with the retired chief of operations for Carnal Intelligence at the CIA, ex-Department of Homeland Security officials, former police officials, and even an erstwhile Republican congressman who proudly calls himself a Bigfoot scholar. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's going around accusing everyone he doesn't like of being a, you know, secret left-right Nazi collaborator when he's the one writing around collaborating with the CIA right, former cops and Republicans. Wing, yeah. Just absolute right projectionist. So, and, and I know this guy in real life. I knew this guy in real life. Um, and every time I hear about him, it's something like this. So when I, when I saw that they were citing him in the New York times, I was just like, of course, of course, this is the guy they go to for just, you know, unprovable conjecture and conspiracy about, you know, where the left is secretly getting its money from. A leftist country <laughs> that opposes <laughs> imperialism. Like, I, I wish we were getting money from there. I wish those checks were. Coming. I would, I would gladly take the checks from all these these evil communist nations that are uh, that are you know praying for our downfall. I would gladly uh, accept their money to to you know do whatever it is that these nut jobs think that we're doing. Um, yeah, yeah, fuck that guy. Um. All right, so yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much we we hit what we wanted to hit topic wise this week. Um, you know, definitely if you want to support the show, rate and view and subscribe, 
wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash move left idiots, uh, patreon.com slash move left. I'm on Twitter, uh, not X at, uh, uh, at move underscore left. Uh, and I am on X at Jason, just Jason. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Next week. Cute in her braces and boots and a handful of grease in her hair.